We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are back, IB Nation. Welcome back to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 11th. That's Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll. This is going to be a fun, fun week, Ryan. And we're going to talk some Stanford, right? Notre Dame has another game coming up. It's a chance for Notre Dame to win their fourth game in a row. Certainly been a much better month than uh, how things started. Uh, You know, is what, a little over a month ago, a month ago yesterday, is uh, when Notre Dame most recently lost. I don't even want to say it anymore, but they've won three in a row. This is an opp- There are so many opportunities for Notre Dame against Stanford. Number one, you can get another win. If you look at the matchups this weekend, there's a lot of opportunities for teams ahead of Notre Dame to lose, potentially jumping back in the top 25, which you can do with a convincing win over Stanford. You also look at the opportunity to really take control of this series history. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the, the rivalry, the series history with Notre Dame, which has been very, uh, it's been, it's been very like back and forth, meaning like it's like one team dominates then the other team dominates, you know, so from 2000 and to, from 2000 to 2008, Notre Dame won all but one matchup. And then from 2009 to 2017, Stanford won all but two matchups. And then, of course, Notre Dame has now won three in a row. So it's really been a one team has controlled the action, and right now Notre Dame is that team. They have to continue that. So we're going to talk about Stanford. We're going to talk about what the heck happened to Stanford. You know, this was the boogeyman for Notre Dame when Brian Kelly showed up. This was the team that just dominated Notre Dame year after year after year. And then, you know, and you now you look at it and say, they're just, they're bad. And mm-hmm. what happened? And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about David Shaw. We're going to talk about this specific Stanford team. So it won't just be big picture stuff. We'll talk about this team, sort of what their problems have been, but also, Ryan, reasons why they're still dangerous. You have to take – you can't take them lightly because if you kind of go in thinking you're playing, you know, Navy from last year or Georgia Tech from last year, they can bite you in the butt a little bit. And so we're going to talk about that as well. And then at the end, Ryan, before our mailbag, we're going to talk about should Notre Dame continue this rivalry? And is this really truly a rivalry for Notre Dame? And that's that's actually something I'm going to talk about at the beginning as part of our introduction. And then we'll, we'll talk at the end about whether it should continue. So 
let's first talk about this, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Do you can I don't consider Stanford a rival in the tradi- in the in the traditional sense of which I care about a rivalry. It is a rivalry from the standpoint of they play every year and yeah. have for every season since nine, I think it's like 1998 or 9 they've played every season except the 2020 covid year. They've played every every year. That year was a year where the Pac-12 only played each other and and until the bowl game Stanford obviously did not play Notre Dame that year. So they play every year. But outside of like 2012 to 2015, it was never a series that mattered a whole lot to me. To be honest with you, it's not one that that brings about much emotion, uh, you know, much reminiscing on the past. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it just to me, it's just not a rivalry that I that I care a lot about up until the last decade when it became important to me, Ryan. And this leads into sort of this look at what happened to them is they became a rival for a very period of time from like 2010 to about 2015. The reason I say that is not only were they beating Notre Dame on the field, but they started really whipping Notre Dame on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. And you think about some of the players that Notre Dame has lost to Stanford over the years, including the son of a former Notre Dame great who was a first round draft pick and Tom Carter, his son went to Stanford, became a pretty darn good defensive back. They lost Justin Reed. They, they lost, uh, I'm trying to remember the other safety that was part of that class. First name was Ben. I'm trying to remember his last name. They, they were played safeties together. Uh, law obviously lost Paulson Adebo in recent years. There's been so many losses over the year, Foster Sorrell, but they've mm-hmm. lost to Stanford on the recruiting trail. And for a period of time, early in Brian Kelly and David Shaw's tenure, because they arrived at their schools as head coaches a year apart, Brian Kelly, 2010, David Shaw took over in 2011, although he was their offensive coordinator since 07. And, I mean, if you were really a national prominent recruit, for the most part, a lot of them were picking Stanford. Yep. That obviously has changed recently, but that's about the only time I really felt like this was much of a rivalry is really it was more about when they started beating Notre Dame on the recruiting trail relatively consistently. Josh Garnett's another one. Uh, Andres Pete is another one that Notre Dame wanted that Stanford Thomas for. Thomas Booker. There you go. There you go. Yep. That's one of the more one of the fewer recent examples. But but you know he's around the same time as Paulson Adebo when Stanford was still able to kind of go get guys. It's strange. Yep. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you love drinking coffee every morning, you have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. 
Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee that they know you'll love, fresh to your home, and on your preferred schedule. And you get to support small local businesses, which is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make coffee at home. My wife likes a dark roast with full flavor, and every brand we've tried has lived up to the billing. Whether it's the Big City Blend from Joe's Coffee, the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, or the Holmes Blend from Sparrows, every cup has not only had a pleasing aroma while brewing, but also a rich, full taste. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado, Looking to discover something new? Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish. It, it really is. I mean, so based upon everything you just said, though, I would push back and say and agree with you that I don't think it's a, I don't think it's really a rivalry because I think it's only a rivalry when Stanford's relevant. Right. And like, OK, that happens from a period of time there for a little bit. But I think that rivalries for me, they stand the test of time. Right. No matter what, if a team's bad, a team's good. There are always those games that you look back on and say, no matter how bad the opponent was, they still came and gave you their best. You know, that's what we talked about with like Texas and Oklahoma, right? Which is one of the historical rivalries. But it's even when Texas is bad, you know it's going to be a good football game. When Oklahoma's not great, you know it's going to be a good football game. That was not the case this this season that we just kind of saw in the, the Red River showdown, I guess is what we're going to Shootout, baby. Now. Red River shootout. Shootout. shootout, sorry. Red River rivalry Red River is actually rivalry, what it's yeah. called. That's actually what well, it's they, called. They called it this year the Red River Shut Shutout. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it really, oh man, that was an ugly, <laughs> ugly football game. But for me, Stanford is not a rivalry game because I don't think it's been like a series of Notre Dame dominates and Stanford dominated for a couple of years. And then Notre Dame is now back to being the, the higher level team. I don't think there's enough consistency from Stanford in that sense of being a legitimate contender i mean like andrew luck is not walking through those doors anytime soon right and it's a sparse te- it's a scarce team as far as talent wise which we'll get into a little bit but it, at it, spots. it's at, at spots. spots well yeah in a few yeah. spots and if you I, I should i should reverse that there are several nfl players on this team but there are spots that are in serious need of retooling as far as talent wise but i don't think that this is a much of a rivalry because if it went away I wouldn't care, right? Like that's and the biggest thing with the rivalry, right there. There's no yeah. emotion to it, right? No. Like there's, when you go to these games, and like even when Stanford fans tried to talk trash, like early in the in the last decade, it was they were just so bad at it that you just didn't even care. You know, it's like whatever, dude. Yep. You're Stanford. You know what I mean? You're master and it's, of the tree. You know and, what I mean? And, Brian, it's like, and one of my favorite memories from recent years, or from the last, I guess, 15 years, if you're a Notre Dame fan, is when they stopped Stephon Taylor on the goal line right. in that Stanford game, right? But right. even though that was a great memory, it wasn't because they beat uh, their rival Stanford. It was because they beat a good football team, right? Like, so I well, think that uh, 
I somewhat disagree because okay. I do believe that 2012 victory over Stanford vaulted Notre Dame because I think that's the period where I felt like it was the closest that it ever felt to a rivalry. And here's what I mean by that. You know, that Notre Dame team, you got to remember what they were coming off of. That team was coming off of back-to-back eight and fives under Brian Kelly. Then they were six and six and seven and six the two years before. So like the fifth-year seniors on that team had never played in a game where they had beaten Stanford. So just the path to getting to where that team wanted to get to, it had to go through Stanford. And so I felt like that was that I felt like beating Stanford in that game mm-hmm. gave that team confidence that, hey, you know what? We're pretty good because Stanford. And the other thing, too, is you got to remember Stanford had destroyed Notre Dame the two previous years. It was 28, 14 the year before, but not really competitive. And then it was like 37 to 10 in 2010. The last time they played on Notre Dame's home field prior to the 2012 game, Stanford destroyed them with Andrew Luck. Yeah. So. You, you look at it, and from that regard, Ryan, it was kind of like, you know, that was the giant you had to slay. You know, it is basically kind of what, what like, you know, like Clemson is to them now or what Ohio State is to them now. At that time, that is the dragon that Notre Dame had to slay. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, it was only for like a short period of time because they, you know, in 09, they, they were, you know, they had a nice year in 09, Stanford did. Mm-hmm. But it was like they were just kind of ascending. You know, yeah. they, they really weren't like they went like eight and five. And remember, they had that really competitive bowl game against Oklahoma. Uh, they had beaten Notre Dame in a shootout at the end of the year where it was the last game of Jimmy Clausen's tenure where, where Jimmy just kind of comes out and just rips them up, throws for a bunch of yards. And, you know, but Stanford still wins because Andrew Luck also threw for a bunch of yards and, or, you know, <laughs> had made some big plays, I should say. And they ran all over them, had Toby Gerhardt running back. You know what I mean? So like, but they were eight and five. And it wasn't until the next year, Jim Harbaugh's last year, when Stanford went 12-1 and one and really broke out, you know, beat Virginia Tech, who was okay in the Orange Bowl. And then 2011, Stanford took another step with, with Andrew Luck, decided to come back, you know, play with David Shaw, uh, beat Notre Dame at the end of the year, and then played a – I mean, one of the best bowl games I've ever seen in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. The team that should have been playing LSU for the national championship that year, in my opinion. And Oklahoma State beat him in a 41 to 38 game. And by that time, Stanford had emerged as a dominant program. Like they were even better than what Clemson was going into 2016. Now they hadn't made the playoff because the playoff weren't a thing then. But my point is like they were like an elite team that was kind of like knocking on the door. You know what I mean? And like they had had some big wins over Oregon. And at the time, if you remember, Oregon was a team that was playing for championships. Yep. You know, and so uh, they they were just a, a really, really good football team, Ryan. And so uh, that – but that, that was more, like you said, there was a level of – it was more of a big win than a rivalry. Mm-hmm. It's simp- What I'm simply saying is that Stanford specifically was important because of what they had done to Notre Dame previously is, sure. is like is my point. And okay. so – but it, but it wasn't a rivalry in the sense of you have the same emotion that you do when you play Michigan. And, mm-hmm. and, and I've said I don't care to play Michigan, but I'd rather play Michigan regular more regularly than Stanford. You know what yeah. I mean? Because there's just there's no emotion there. And even when Stanford was good mm-hmm. and you beat them, it was kind of like, yeah, you're supposed to beat Stanford, right? right. And, and, you know, 2012 was really the only year that Notre Dame ever beat Stanford where it was like, yeah, okay, that was a heck of a win. They weren't that good in 2014. I think mm. they went like eight and five. Because if you remember in 2014, I believe, Ryan, Josh Noon started that game, not Kevin Hogan. Oh, That was before Kevin Hogan start, uh, took over. 
Uh, no, or no, actually, no. I'm th- I'm thinking of the twenty um, the 2012 game. Actually, is when Josh Noons was the starter and Kevin Hogan took over. Like that 2014 team for Stanford, I think went like eight and five. They weren't mm-hmm. that good that year. And so, you know, that was, you know, two weeks after Notre Dame beat them, they went out and lost to Arizona State by 16, right? They just – they got killed by Oregon that year. So, it, I mean, the only time they beat Stanford when Stanford was any good was that 2012 season. I mean, because Stanford beat them in uh, 2010, beat them in 2011, beat them in 2013, beat them in 2015. That was the last great Stanford team was a 2015 team. With yeah. Christian McCaffrey went out in the Rose Bowl and just destroyed Iowa. The 2016 team beat Notre Dame. They weren't that good. The 2017 team beat Notre Dame. They weren't that good. And, you know, so that was kind of when Stanford started their slow descent. It just didn't matter for Notre Dame because they still couldn't beat them. Then 2018 comes. Notre Dame then puts a whooping on Stanford in 2018. And at the time, it seemed like a big game. They ranked seventh. They ended up nine and five and out of the top 25 by the end of the year. And then the last two times Notre Dame has beat them, they were like three and nine and four and eight. So yeah. it's just they've just gone, pew, you know. Whereas when Stanford was dominating this rivalry, they were beating more often than not eight and five or better Notre Dame teams. Notre Dame has been beating bad Stanford teams in recent years, and it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, you're supposed to beat Stanford, you know. And when they beat you, it's a huge win, and it hurts you on the recruiting trail. And so that's just one of the reasons why I've just I've never thought this was much of a rivalry, to be completely honest with you. Well, uh, I was actually at that 2018 Stanford game. It was at Notre Dame. And mm-hmm. even though, Brian, it was – so, you know, they tried to play it up as a rivalry, right? Because it's like, okay, they're a top-10 team. It's a night game. All that good stuff, right? Prime time, cool. Notre Dame won that game, and I didn't leave that game like, oh, man, we beat the rival Stanford. I was yeah. like, oh, it was a nice – it was just a good win, man. Like, it was just a good win for me, right? Like, there's just – I think that you you quantified it perfectly. It doesn't elicit emotion out of me, right? Like, I'm a Notre Dame fan, have been my entire life, and it's not like I want Notre Dame to beat Stanford because there's this great rivalry. No, I want them to beat Stanford because, to your point, Stanford has a a nuance to their program where, hey, high academic school, when they're good, it's, you know, you, you, you track a lot of talented student athletes, but I want them to separate themselves, obviously, from sure. a Stanford. And they have yeah. separated themselves in recent years, right? And it's it's trended downward for for Stanford. For the most part, it's, starting, it's trended upward for Notre Dame. So I just think that separation is even further the fact of like, hey, because it, 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 honestly, if Notre Dame beats Stanford this week, you're going to say, okay, good job, Notre Dame. Nice, nice win, right? You're not going to go like, wow, that was a gigantic win against a great rival. Like, that's not where it is at this point, right? Like, that's not where it is anymore. And I feel like Notre Dame gives them a platform that they otherwise wouldn't have as a football program. And and that's another part of it. So, like, when they beat Notre Dame, it's like, wow, like, there is another option out there with in nicer weather uh, than going to Notre Dame if you're a high academic kid that wants to play big-time football. Right. Because, yep. you know, Duke's a great academic school. Northwestern's a great academic school, but they're not very good football programs and never really have been a year here, a year there. They're just not great football programs. Stanford gave them a chance to, hey, look, if you're a California kid and not only were they beating for California kids, they were going out to Texas to beat them for kids. They were going out, which is always why I felt like Notre Dame should be able to have more success in Texas. Mm-hmm. If Stanford go down to Texas to get Caden Smith and go down to Texas and get Paulson Adebo. And Michael Wilson, and for a moment, Marvin Mims, because he committed to Stanford originally anyway. Why can't Notre Dame get these kids? And that's why I've always felt Texas was there for the taking, because there's a lot of kids in Texas that care about going to a place where they can win championships, but also, or compete for championships, but also 
play big time football to big time academic school and Stanford gave them that option. And yeah. if Notre Dame could have been better, they'd start having success there, which is, you know, again, why I think Notre Dame is starting to have more success there and why it was important for this staff to start focusing on that state more than they have. When we talked about this during the Braylon James recruitment, right, Brian? I mean, Braylon James, top 100 wide receiver in the 2023 class, he considered Stanford heavily. Like he had, yeah. he had good opinions on Stanford. I know Michael Bell, you know, was was considering Stanford there for a little bit. So to your point, yes, there are some Texas players that, I mean, I, I feel like more than ever, especially after talking to Bertram Barry, that was a Texas guy as well. The reach to get out of Texas is kind of there for a lot of Texas players, yeah. which is kind of interesting. You just got to maintain to your Rod, point. We had Rod Babers on the show this summer, Ryan, who played at Texas, lives in yeah. Texas, does radio in Texas, and he said the same thing. Like there's, there's, there are areas where it's there's a pull to stay in state, but there it's just it's not like it is maybe in the southeast. You know, right. there's more there's more of a push to say, hey, look, go expand your horizons. Go, you know, go do something different. Don't just stay in this town, you know, for the rest of your life. So exactly. Yeah, correct. So it's not even just coming from a Notre Dame guy who clearly that was his experience, which was awesome interview, by the way, yesterday. That was phenomenal. He was great. You guys were great. But also a Texas guy who went mm-hmm. to Texas is saying that, which, which gets to the point. But I don't get too far off the point of Stanford. So I just feel like it's not a game that I, you know, that I necessarily care about having. And, and, you know, like I said, somebody made a great point. Salty Virginia peanuts said a game, a game is a true rivalry when you can go one and 11 and still feel good. If the sole win is against the rival. And like, did anyone care that in 2007, the the three and nine Notre Dame, Notre Dame team, one of their wins was over Stanford. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody cared. Because it's like Stanford sucks. Now, had they gone out and beat USC that year instead of getting absolutely curb stomped, would that have kind of, hey, you know, we sucked that year, but beat USC. Right? Yeah. That would be a thing. That would be a thing. Or, but we still beat Michigan. You know, that would be a thing. I mean, I mean, Brian, there's still that Notre Dame account that tweets out, it's been X amount of days since USC beat Notre Dame, right? It's just sure. like, it's sure. it's just funny, man. Like, that's no a rivalry. I haven't seen that with Stanford because it's been a while. It's been a while <laughs> since Stanford's beat Notre Dame. Uh, so, but here, here's the thing about this. This is a team that, that part of the, the only reason we're really having this conversation is because of what Stanford has become the last five years. I wonder if Stanford would have maintained their excellence I think we'd be singing a different tune because then we'd have a full decade worth of just big time games between big time teams. And I think a real rivalry would have started. And again, we're, we're defining rivalry from an emotional standpoint, from an impact standpoint, from a just it, it's a game that matters standpoint uh, from a, a fans having emotion about it. If Notre Dame and Stanford were just constantly battles of top 10 to 15 teams, I think maybe it could have changed, but I just because they have fallen so fast and so hard, it's almost like, well, okay. I mean, think about what we were saying last week before BYU game. You win this game and you're going to go on a roll between now and Stanford. And who's the team that you say maybe you stub your toe against? It wasn't Stanford, it was Syracuse. Yep. I mean, that kind of says a lot about where you're at as a program. And I don't see it changing, to be honest with you. Not not right now. I, I just. I don't see David Shaw doing the things he needs to do to get them back on track. And that leads us to a discussion about this Stanford team, Ryan, because, you know, they're, they're one in four. I, I will say this uh, in their, in the, in, in praise of them, they have not been overly competitive from an outcome standpoint, but they have been competitive in regard to how they go about their business. This is at least a team that plays with a little bit more fire, 
I'm sure maybe a little bit more physicality. They're not a very physical team. Somebody had said that they watch them play and they said they're still real physical. I don't see that. Like, I don't see vintage Stanford. I'd say try hard. The try hard is there. They didn't quit. Like, there was times last year, Ryan, when you watched them in, in November, where it was just so obvious that, that team had quit. I mean, it was so obvious that that team had quit. I mean, we, we've talked about this. <clears throat> Their last four games, 52-7 to seven home loss to Utah. 35 to 14 road loss to Oregon State, 41 to 11 home loss to Cal, and a 45 to 14 home loss to Notre Dame. You know, yes, USC beat them by 13. They lost to Washington by 18, Oregon by 18, Oregon State by a point. Outside of the Washington game, they've at least had some moments where you're like, you know what? Like they're trying hard. They just don't have the horses, right? Sure. They should have beat Oregon State. I mean, that was the weirdest ending of the season by far. But it just kind of shows who they are, though, right? And they're just not a real talented football team anymore. There are spots we'll get into where they have still really good talent. There's guys in their team that I'm like, man, like I, I would love to have that kid coached by Notre Dame's guys, 100%. but not nearly as many as there was a decade ago. And it's especially true on the defensive side of the ball. So this is a one and four team. Their only win so far of the year is over Colgate of the Patriot league. So, you know, and, and two of their losses, Oregon state and USC were at home. So they're just right now, Ryan, they're just not a good football team. If you look at the statistics, you know, again, they're just not, they're just not an impressive team. They ranked eight in the, in actually let's pull those up. I'm actually going to pull those stats up so people can take a look at them, Ryan. So just give me one second to pull this Stanford stuff up. So let's get this over here. And pull this up because i think it kind of it puts into context really what we're talking about here with stanford so you look at the numbers i mean they're they're getting outscored in the season which you would expect from a team that's one and four they rank eighth in a, in a 12 team conference because the pac-12 is i think the only conference left in in football that actually has the number of teams in the name so like the big 10 is 14 the big 12 is 10 Pac-12 actually changes the name of their conference to rec- you know to show the number of teams like you know one of the like you know common sense would think make you think that they should do eighth in points per game eighth in yards eighth in yards per play eighth in rushing yards tenth in yards per rush seventh in passing yards sixth in attempt six yards per fifth yards per completion sixth in quarterback rating ninth in third down offense third in red zone touchdown percentage which is actually pretty good and then they're dead last in the league in turnovers 13 turnovers in five games and they're dead last in turnovers forced they and on defense they rank 10th in points per game yards per play allowed rushing yards per game rushing yards per play passing yards per attempt they rank 11th in the conference in yards allowed per completion uh yards per game they rank ninth in quarterback rating. They rank sixth in passing yards allowed. Their third down defense and red zone defense are really good. Could you imagine what their points per game number would be if they didn't have the best red zone touchdown defense in the Pac-12? Like, you know, so very interesting stats. And the reason you can rank 10th and 11th in yards and points or points and yards, but be first in red zone touchdown percentage and, and, and second and third down defense because you're giving up a lot of big plays. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's been for Stanford is they're just they're a big play team on defense. They give up a lot of big plays and they're not a real big play team on offense. And so they're just they're just not good on either side of the ball, Ryan. And that's been the the really disappointing thing is you even back when Stanford was not good back in the day, they still at least had good offenses. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they'd have some NFL quarterback and they'd have some receiver or running back that you, you know, that, that you know, Tom touchdown Tommy or Glenn Milburn or whoever else. They'd, you know, they, they'd at least have some weapons to throw to. This team just, they're just not real good. And um, it's disappointing, to be honest with you. It really is. Because, Brian, when they were good, their identity was back to the physical conversation, right? They could run the football and they could stop the run. Like that was, I, I still have Shane Scove, the linebacker, oh, just yeah. imprinted in my mind, right? Like that's what I think of when I think of when Stanford was a really good football team. Trent Murphy, Shane Scove, oh, like yeah. those types Trent of Trent Murphy man. and Chase Thomas on the edge. Oh, of, Chase of those was earlier teams. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yes, they were, and they were such a physically tough football team, right? And I mean, Solomon Thomas and like those dudes, like they were mm-hmm. just really gritty, tough kids on top of being talented too. Like I'm not yeah. trying to Blake they, Martinez. They were talented players. Yeah, yes. I mean, because Blake Martinez is an NFL starting NFL linebacker, at least was for a while. For a long time, yeah. yeah. For a decent amount yeah. of time, and, and, but I think when you look at these numbers, the thing that immediately pops out to me on top, or just on besides the simple fact that like these numbers are bad, they're ranking so low in the conference, four point one yards per rush as an offensive team, and then they give up five point six yards a carry. That is not what Stanford was built off of, man. When they were Jim Harbaugh into the David Shaw era, again, I mean, you were you named a couple of them already, right? Toby Gerhardt. Stephon Taylor. That was the that was the emphasis on on Stanford football, man. Uh, Gaffney that used to play with Tyler Gaffney. Tyler Gaffney, back, yeah. right? Like they were yeah. tough, physical teams who could run the football. And I mean, Andrus Pete and the, Joshua Garnett and those brand of football, right? They were going to run downhill. They were going to use multiple tight ends. They were going to establish the line of scrimmage in their favor on both sides of the football. Right now. I feel like they don't have an identity, Brian. Like that's right. the biggest thing when I watch their film, especially offensively, because there's still part of them that wants to be that team still, right? Because you still yeah. see some multiple tight end sets, power football. I mean, there was a play that wasn't even in the red zone where they ran 14 personnel, one back and four tight ends. Yeah. They still want that to be their thing. But they have gone – I mean, when they're not doing that, they're like a, a spread team now, you know? Like they're trying to elongate and mesh stuff. They're trying to be a passing team with Tanner McKee. They don't have an offensive identity. And defensively, they used to be this 3-4, you know, get down and dirty and rough and tumble, all that, all those words that you want to use to describe them. Now they're like in between a four-man front, in between a three-man front. Like, I just don't think that this team has an identity mm-hmm. anymore, man. They're in between of like, hey, we were good playing this brand of football for a little bit. And then we hit a lull and a downtrend where we are not a very good football team anymore. And I think that they are trying to find an identity, and I just don't think that they know what they are. I just don't think they do, Brian. And I don't know where they're going to go from here. I don't. I hope that they turn it around because, I, again, I, I think that's when Stanford is good, it's better, right? Like it's better. I want a better product in these types of football games. But as of right now, man, I don't think they have an identity. I think they're searching for it, and I just think that they are in between too many different things and they're just not finding what their niche, niche is offensively or defensively right now. Well, since 2015 on, from 2015 on, three teams have produced a pair of 2,000-yard running backs. Three teams. Wisconsin, not surprising. San Diego State, a little surprising. Donnell Pumphrey and then Rashad Penny. And then Stanford. Mm-hmm. And and so you, you go from that – to, and then, you know, you Toby, Toby Gerhardt at 1,800 yards. I mean, they've had some dudes put up some yards, right? I mean, Toby Gerhardt, 
uh, had had to, uh, eight over eighteen hundred yards. I still feel somebody had said this in the in the sh- in the chat as well, Ryan, that that uh, Toby Gerhardt should have won the Heisman in two thousand nine over Mark Ingram, and I agree wholeheartedly. It was fantastic that year. Yes, man. if it, it, but the the award goes to the best player, skill player on the best team or one of the best teams, and Stanford was nine and five. But Toby Gerhardt was absolutely brilliant that year, uh, scoring twenty eight touchdowns. You put him behind. Could you imagine him running behind the Stanford offensive line that year, or the excuse me, the uh, Alabama offensive line that year? You know, then then you had Stephon Taylor who went out and had a thirteen hundred yard season, and then in twenty eleven had three straight thousand yard seasons. Stephon Taylor did, Good had fifteen hundred yards in twenty twelve exactly. Tyler Gaffer then replaces him, has seventeen hundred yards, had a bit of a down year the next year in twenty fourteen. Then Christian McCaffrey bounces back with over two thousand yards. Then he has over sixteen hundred yards the next year. He gets hurt, doesn't play against Notre Dame. And so what does Bryce Love do against Notre Dame? He comes out and rushes for 129 yards. And he takes over, rushes for 2,000 yards the next year. And then the wheels fell off. Yep. And in 2017, in 2015, Stanford averaged 223 yards per game. The year that Bryce Love had uh, 2,000 yards, they averaged two, 202 yards per game, but 5.9 yards per carry. Since then, their yards per game average has gone from the very next year the very next year, 107.9 and dropped down to 3.7 per carry. Then it dropped down to 105.5 and 3.7 yards per carry. Then it went up to 132.8 in the COVID year where they were only playing Pac-12 teams. And then last year it bottomed out at 86.8 and 3.2 yards per carry. Now, 86. 86.8. Now this year, they're averaging 100. They're they're a little better this year. They're averaging 138.6, but they lost EJ Smith after the USC game, yep. and he he was their rush offense. And so you know, since then, their rush offense has really just been kind of like it was last year, Ryan. I mean, in the three games since, they rushed for 86 against Washington. They ran for 127 against Oregon, and they ran for 90 against Oregon State. That's literally 101 yards per game since E.J. Smith got hurt in three games. Like, I've never seen anything where you didn't have a a, a change in coaching. And now what I mean by change in coaching, I mean your head coach didn't change. I've never seen a team go from what they were for several years to what they are now so dramatically and quickly. Mm-hmm. It, it is really one of the strangest things. Now, you could say that it somewhat coincides with the departure of Mike Bloomgren, which I think is accurate uh, to a degree, because his last year as the offensive line coach at Stanford was 2017 with Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He then left the next year to go to Rice, and David and, and they just have never been the same. And I think that right there gets to what the issue is. David Shaw has made bad hires. David Shaw did not stop being a, a brilliant football coach. He is. He's still one of the best offensive minds in college football. Two problems he has. Doesn't want to recruit, and he has made bad hires. And 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 then been unwilling to move on from those bad hires until it was way too late. Perfect example, Lance Anderson's defenses have been terrible, terrible for years. Yep. And they just don't do anything about it. And this is a team – that you know that that played great defense, Ryan. For year, I mean, really, really good. De- I mean, three, four out of five years from 2010 to 2011, they aver- they held teams to under 20 points a game. Now, keep in mind that was in a league with Oregon and Chip Kelly, and then Oregon and Mark Helfrich, and also with USC and several other really good offensive football teams. Steve Sarkeesian was at Washington. 
yeah. know, and they still held opponents to under under 20 points per game during that mm-hmm. time, Ryan. And, and and here's what they've done in the last – they gave up 22.7 in 2007 and then 22.9 in 2018, right? <clears throat> and their defensive coordinator for a number of those years uh, with, uh, with, with uh, uh, David Shaw was Derek Mason. Derek yep. Mason was their defensive coordinator to 2013. And then Lance Anderson was kind of able to somewhat keep it going during the stretch where the Pac-12 wasn't good. But then 2019, the just the bottom fell out again, just suddenly. They went from 20.4 in 2016, 22.7, 22.9, to then 29.8, 31.7, 32.4, and they're at 32.8 this year. How do you have a defensive coordinator that makes Brian Van Gorder's defense look good? Who has given up at least twenty nine point eight points per game in three straight years? How does he still have a job? And I don't say that lightly because you know I don't like really advocating for people to lose their jobs. But this is this is I mean it's but it's that it's how is that guy still your defensive coordinator? You're not recruiting on defense. Your defense is terrible, and he's been unwilling to make the changes necessary to get the program turned around. And I think at the end of the day, that plus his unwillingness to just really get after the recruiting trail are big reasons why this program is bottomed out the way that they have. And I think that those things are proven by the recruiting article that came out this morning, right? Where you're looking at it, you're like, okay, a couple years, recent in the last five, you're like, okay, number 19 in the country, number 20 in the country, that's good. But then they'll follow it up with the next year going 43rd in the country or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Like there right. just hasn't been consistency on the recruiting side. And again, I mean, Brian, you just mentioned it, right? You mentioned Oregon when Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich was there, right? Yeah. Stanford created the blueprint to stop them, right? Yeah. Like they created that, man. They couldn't yeah, always remember- do it, but if you were going to do it, there was a way to do it. And yes. they, they, you're correct. They, And we've talked about that in this show, Ryan. We've referenced that as a blueprint for how Notre Dame needs to attack certain teams is yep. what they did to Oregon. Yep. And, and it's just – it is such a – weird trend of how quickly this is kind of bottomed out to your point right it's just and i i don't know what's next brian i mean that's the big thing right like we could talk about you know maybe you make a couple coaching changes and Mm -hmm. you get back on the recruiting and do all that type of stuff but at the end of the day i feel again and i mentioned this already but like i feel like there is a identity crisis in stanford right now man i don't think they know who they want to be i don't think they and part of it is that they maybe don't have the necessary tools to be what they want the to be support, anymore. The support from the institution has is not good. Yeah, it's because they don't care. This, this the institution doesn't care. If they, they only care about football being good when they get paychecks. But Stanford is a lot like Notre Dame. That is a school that has zero problem raising money. Stanford will mm-hmm. never be short on money if they want it. It's just, you know, I just don't think they care. I mean, and the fans are incredibly apathetic. Yeah. And they were that way when they were good, you know? Uh, so, you know, they're just, they're not going to do the things to support the football program and then in, in this changing. I mean, it wasn't until like what, uh, within the last year that they would even allow kids to visit as juniors. I mean, wow. it was just like, yeah, it was just like, they don't, they, I don't think they, they might've just changed their early enrollee rule. I don't even know if they have yet, but it's things like that. Like they're way behind Notre Dame in those changes and that's just going to cripple you as well. And then, you know, just some people that I know out West, they just, they don't, they're not real creative. Like when you've got those things working against you, you got to get creative and they just don't. And, yeah. and that's, that's hurt them. It really has hurt them. So I, 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 I like you said, I don't see it changing. I don't, no. I don't see it changing. And, and that's disappointing because I hate to see David Shaw go out the way he's gone out. 
Because mm-hmm. five years ago, if Brian Kelly would have walked and David Shaw was like, I'm ready for a new challenge. I- I'll go. To- <laughs> yeah. In a heartbeat, I would have made, I would have gone for that because he, his philosophy was exactly what you expect Notre Dame to be. He out Notre Dame Notre Dame to your point, physical ground attack, efficient offense, great tight end play, physical front seven on defense. And then you get enough skill to be really good. That was the Notre Dame blueprint for so for for what how Notre Dame could have been good, and Stanford really did a great job with it. And so, you know, now you watch them play, and they're just they're a finesse team. They're just not real physical. They're just they they have no speed at all. Like it and 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 it got really bad when you saw Caillou Black Blue Kelly out at corner. Yeah, yeah. It got real. Now you're like, oh my gosh. Boy, it's really bad now. So anyway, that's our kind of just overall thoughts on on Stanford. Let's get into some, some specifics, Ryan. Yep. We said earlier that this is still a team that can hurt you if you don't, if you're not, if you overlook them. And this is my big fear with this game. My biggest mm-hmm. fear of this game is the Notre Dame players and coaches are going to look at the record and look at the stats and say, uh, this is a Finally, we get a cakewalk opponent. After five tough weeks, we finally get a cakewalk opponent. Can't have that attitude. And the biggest reason why is they have a quarterback with an NFL arm. Now, he's struggling a little bit this year, but he's got an NFL arm. They have an offensive line that is talented enough that if they just have that one good game, they can do some really good things. And they have giants. They have giants on the outside. You know, and so – that's a, I mean, you don't have to be like they, their size at receiver is as good as any team in the country and tight end. And I think that's something where if they use it correctly, they can, they can have some problems. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, I mean, that, that passing game in general, Brian, because I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll talk about Tanner McKee in a second, but to your point, man, Benjamin Yurasek is one of the best tight ends in college football and he doesn't get the conversation, he doesn't get the consistent production because of the inconsistencies that are in this passing attack. But he is a really good football player, folks. Like, Yurasek is a player where, I mean, Brian, like when they were struggling to give him the football, we talked about it before the show. They gave him an end around. He went 50 yards, right? He's like the he's third leading rusher with one carry. It's insane, man. It's so <laughs> Who insane. gives a tight end an end around and it goes for 50 yards? It's crazy. You know? yeah. Everyone talked about the Brock Bowers end around, but yeah. Benjamin Yurasek in his own right is a pretty yeah. athletic kid, man. So, He's a good football player. Elijah Higgins is a big, tall, athletic kid who is very inconsistent, but a talented wide receiver. Michael Wilson, Brian, who's had problems with injuries over the last couple of years. Yeah. He's playing good football this yeah, year, man. He's, he's playing healthy. good, good he's football. Healthy. Yep. Bryson Tremaine. They yep. got a couple guys out there he's that are guy that was hurt. I can't believe he's playing, Ryan. I can't believe I Bryson Tremaine is playing. Like his his injury, he like what was it? He like he broke his ankle. And and leg like he broke his a bone in like different spots. I'm like this kid's yeah. career is over. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and he's back. He's playing well. You got Elijah Higgins, which is, if we're being honest, their base offense is 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 looks like it's eleven personnel from a what the guys are listed as. But Ryan, let's be honest, man, they're a twelve tight end. No, not even that. Elijah Higgins is a tight yes. end. Yes, I mean, just he's six three, two thirty four. They use him like an H back. He's averaging wanna... eleven yards a catch. I mean, a catch. They use him like an H back. He works the slot. He works the middle of the field. He blocks. They use him like uh, 
he's closer to Tommy Trumbull than he is Lorenzo Styles as a football player. Brian, great stat on him in the spring grades for the NFL when they went out and got measurements on kids. Mm-hmm. Last spring, I don't know what he weighs now, but Elijah Higgins was 240 pounds last yeah. spring. So to your point, he, is he a, may he's be 240 now. He's listed at 234, but he looks yeah. bigger than that. I mean, he's, he's, huge, he's man. a good athlete for his size, right? I mean, you know, he's a good football player. I'm saying this not to mock him. I'm saying this from a, it's a good football player, but you've got to treat him in matchups like you would treat a, a, an athletic tight end. I mean, that's how they use him. And that's the point of what I'm saying. It's not to mock him, oh, he's big, and that's not what you're doing either. I'm just saying, like, these are not comments to say, oh, this guy's just big. It's that, look, these are big kids. John Humphreys was a pretty good football player for them last year before he got hurt. And and he was their number three leading receiver last year. But before he got hurt, he was putting up some good numbers. He's not even starting for them now. He's coming off the bench for them now. So uh, there's weapons to work with. The problem is they only have one type of weapon right now, and it's big guys they can throw it up to. And the other issue is is they've had a really hard time protecting the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And that that has been a big thing. And and that that problem is amplified by the fact that this is just a kid who's not really good at moving, right? I mean, they rank 17th, 117th in the country in sacks allowed per game. They've given up 16 sacks in five games. That's three a game. So, you know, that's as many as Cal had. And and there's a big difference to me, Ryan. The crazy thing is there's a big difference to me in the talent that Stanford has on the offensive line and the the talent that Cal had. Cal does not have talent. Mm -hmm. They don't. They don't have good players. Stanford actually has good players. It's just they don't protect the quarterback. And it's really the weirdest thing because, like you said, the talent is there. But yep. they gave up five sacks against USC. Uh, they gave up, let's see, uh, eight sacks against Washington. Eight sacks against Washington. Was- the Washington film was some of the worst I've ever watched from yeah. offensive linemen. It was really bad. And to your point, Brian, like you'll see Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl talk about Walter Rouse a ton, right? The left tackle, yeah. who's extremely talented. There's a yeah. reason that Notre Dame was recruiting him at one time, right? For, like he's yeah. a very talented player. Miles Hinton, who has missed the last two games, but he's a starting right tackle for the team. I mean, he was a top 50 to 100 recruit coming yeah. out of high school. He was a dude. And he, when he plays, man, you see the talent. It's there. Like, it is all uh, – to yeah. your point about, like, hey, wouldn't mind having a couple of those guys over here? Those two? Like, if yeah. I want to get one – if Notre Dame could get one of those guys over to Notre Dame, like, I'd be like, yep, cool. We'll work with Harry Thiessen. Well, and, and we said that during got. the summer, Ryan. We said during yeah. the summer that, man, you know, you you put these kids with Harry Heastan for a couple of years, and you're talking about high draft picks. Like, you, you and I were talking before the show, and you're like, Walter Rouse is just not a good football player. Not right now. But yeah. you see height. You see length. You see athleticism. Like, you see mm-hmm. a – pro. I mean, you see a more athletic version of Joe Alt. Yeah. I mean, that's what you see. From a skill set standpoint, he just doesn't know how to play, and he doesn't play with a lot of physicality. I think Miles Hinton plays with physicality. He's probably more physical than the two. He's actually, to me, was their best lineman before he got hurt. Agreed. But even then, he doesn't play to his uh, – I mean, he is huge. It's like six seven three twenty. Brian, just, I, I said yeah. this before the show, and I'm not going to back down from it, man. If he was in a good situation with a good offensive line coach – Miles Hinton would be a top 10 pick whenever he come, I mean, whenever the he tools came are out there. for the draft. The tools yeah. are there. I mean, if he was playing for Notre Dame and Harry Heastan, to your point, that's what we'd be talking about, right? I mean, we'd be talking about, yeah, of course Blake Fisher's going to move inside the guard. And you put him and Miles Hinton next to each other, and then you've got the best right side of the offensive line in college football. 
right? And so, again, when we say there's not talent, this side of the ball is where they have NFL players. Yes. Like they have legit NFL players on offense. Now, the problem is a lack of diversity of skill set. And then the other problem is they're just not they're just not coached really well schematically mm-hmm. and fundamentally. They're trying yeah. to do this really like they're trying to do like the long wake force mesh. Have you have you I know you've seen that, Ryan. And it's just like it just doesn't work because you have a really immobile quarterback. It yes. worked a little bit early because teams weren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. But it just it hasn't worked as much lately. Well, and then and, the other and, one was losing EJ Smith was the other thing that's really hurt this offense. Yeah, I mean, I was going to talk about that a little bit, Brian. EJ Smith's a good football player. Losing him really hurt this run game because right now the offensive line, they do not work up to the second level very well. They do not – I mean, their combos are just stalling at the line of scrimmage and then that's it, right? Like they're not creating a ton of movement. And to your point, Brian, I don't understand what they're doing with Tanner McKee because I like Tanner McKee's skill set for a vertically vertical-based offense, right? Like play mm-hmm. action – he has a good arm and he can push the ball vertically. He's a tall kid, you know, good base, all that, all that type of stuff. But running that elongated mesh, man, he's running some RPO action out of it. And I'm just like, he has too long of levers, man. Like it's taking forever to get out. Like it's just not, again, I think it's a lack of identity. They don't know what they are no. because they don't really do anything well. <laughs> like that's where, that's where it is. I thought that worked for the first two games. I said partly because of teams weren't prepared for it, but there was another reason. EJ Smith is a really smooth, decisive runner. Now it's not a shock that the son of Emmett Smith is a decisive runner, but he's mm-hmm. really smooth. He's really fluid. You know, he would, they would do these long meshes and then all of a sudden he would take the ball and then just back cut it outside the back. The kid they have, the kids they have now can't do that. I mean, no. not that they, not even that they can't see it. They just physically can't do it the way that he did it. I think that's really hurt them now because the thing about it is, Ryan, outside of offensive line play, they still have depth. They lose yeah. a guy, and it's, I mean, I'm sorry, receiver play. Mm-hmm. Receivers where they have some depth, but again, depth of the same exact kind of dude. But you look at the running back, like they go from, from um, EJ Smith to Casey Filkins and then Caleb Robinson. And it is a big, big drop off. Big drop Casey, off. Cause Casey Filkins was like a three-star recruit or something. When I looked him up, K- Caleb Robinson, Brian, unless I got that wrong was a, I don't think he was rated at all. So, I mean, we're talking about recruiting and recruiting doesn't always exemplify talent a hundred percent, but it can indicate where the talent is on the roster. I mean, to your point, without EJ Smith, this running back room is just not spectacular yeah. like it's just not man like there's just not a ton of it's talent a, and that again is, right it's like how yeah. does that happen right to this program right i mean you know well brian we were talking about on the show yesterday i don't know if you heard this but someone talked about the running back room and we're like wow how incredible is it that notre dame's running back room next year could be Audrey Estimate, logan diggs chris tyree maybe jeremiah love Jaden lamar J- jabron payne like seven deep of just right. – I'm um, sorry, six deep, six deep of just a stupidly dudes. talented group. Dudes. All dudes. Yeah. All dudes. Yep. Yeah. And if you drop any of them onto Stanford right now, they're probably the starting running back. Oh, there's no question. And it's no, There's just, no question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, well, did you guys mention – actually, no, hold on a second. It's Tyree, Diggs, mm-hmm. Estime, uh, Jadarian Price, Jabron Payne. Jeremiah Love, if they get Jeremiah Love, and then Jaden Lamar, be seven deep. 
Oh yeah, I did say seven. Okay, I was right. Yeah, there. you were correct. Right. Yep. You were cool. correct. Yeah. So you know, here's here's funny. So Brian and Ryan doing their best Lou Holtz act to scare us about the game. Sorry. Uh, I don't know how you got that out of everything we've been talking about. <laughs> been very and my negative. second part of that part of that is wait till after we talk about the defense before you make that comment. Because the reality is, is this is an offense that you know has not been great. Like a buddy of mine calls, he's like, you know, man, Stanford really scares me on offense. And I'm like, well, I mean, I kind of understand that, but like, let's not forget this is still an offense that has not gotten to 30 points yet against a FBS team, but they've gotten to 22, 27, 27 to 28. Here's the reality: there have been three games this year. Or that's enough to beat Notre Dame. Sure. You know, and, and so we'll get to the defense here in a second. But the reality is, is you have to know your opponent. And just like Notre Dame can't overlook Stanford, we fans can't either, at least on this side of the ball. Because there are things Stanford can do where they can give Notre Dame problems. The size it can give Notre Dame problems. Because, yeah, you got Cam Hart on one side. But they've got guys they can just match up against Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey and Clarence Lewis and even it, and especially Treat Brace if he plays, where it's just like, man, it's like you had the guy perfectly covered and it just didn't matter. The quarterback just threw it up and they went and made plays. David Shaw has always loved to do that to Notre Dame. And oh, I don't yeah. know why, but he's always loved to do that against Notre Dame. And they're still doing it to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like they tried that against USC. They tried to do that box out thing, where, but it was oh, yeah. just a bad ball and they got tipped up, picked off and, and all that. But you just watch the JJ or Sega white side, Colby Parkinson. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. like, like I remember the play where they caught a touchdown pass against Julian love. What was it? 2017. Mm-hmm. This literally, I think it was our Sega white side just goes into the end zone and then just like boxes out <laughs> Julian love. And then they throw the ball up and then, but they also do a great job of matchups. I remember the 2015 or was it 2017 game. Also that game where they got Caden Smith matched up in the slot against Sean Crawford. And just yep. went right at him. Well, that's a bad matchup for Sean Crawford, you know. And so uh, they do a good job with that, and they have those type of weapons. David Shaw has always been really good about those type of weapons. And so, uh, and then the other thing too is, uh, you know, I mean, when you look at it, Ryan. Also, you 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 look at this matchup and you say, this is this is an area where I think Notre Dame can have some problems right now is they've been outplayed for balls down the field. I mean, that's what North Carolina did to them twice. Yeah. Right now they don't have the speed that North Carolina's guys have, but they do have some, some, some size. Now the best way to attack that, and we'll get into that during the week. And we'll just briefly mention here is to get after the quarterback because they give up a lot of sacks. Stanford uh, Tanner McKee is a statue. Mm-hmm. He is a statue. I mean, after chasing Jaron Hall and D- Drake may, and C.J. Stroud, and even Jack Plummer. I mean, Jack Plummer's very mobile uh, mm-hmm. compared to, to to Tanner McKee. They're going to feel like they're going after just like they're going to always know where he is, and that's going to be a – should be a nice relief for Notre Dame this year. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, uh, it should be. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to see. It's going to be an interesting thing to see because, like you said, they yeah. do not protect the quarterback very well. We'll see if they're able to remedy that. But, I mean, because I, 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 want, I want to parlay that message again, Brian, because I, I think that people are kind of looking at this as like we're just trashing Stanford. Again, going to reemphasize mm-hmm. this. Stanford has some playmakers. We talked about the receivers. You talk about Benjamin Yurasek at tight ends. They can cause Notre Dame some problems if Notre Dame comes in and sleepwalks into this game yes. and they are not ready to go. They can. And that's the point. That's the point. Yes. If Notre Dame plays their game, this isn't competitive. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not. I mean, that's the reality of it. But that's that's the thing with this team is we they haven't done that all the time. Yep. They haven't just come in and played their game all the time. And and that's your point, right? Is this is a team that if you play the way you did in the second half against BYU. If you play the way you did, uh, you know, at times against, against North Carolina, after you got a big lead, they're going to have some points, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's just the reality of it, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's where we're at defensively. However, Ryan, yeah, this is really where Stanford has just fallen off of a cliff. They are a really bad defense. And the biggest problem just don't have players. And they have some guys that were highly ranked recruits, but the, the problem is it, it's kind of like it started with when they got Curtis Robinson. You remember him? Mm-hmm. He was a big-time five-star recruit. Notre Dame wanted him bad, and I wanted linebacker. him at Notre Dame bad. But he was a tall, skinny, rangy linebacker that wasn't super powerful. And he goes to Stanford. And I'm like, why? Why would he go there, and why would they recruit him? Yeah, Because he doesn't fit what they do. And it's why his career, in my opinion, never panned out. Tristan Sinclair is another one. Clark Lee wanted – I remember sitting in Clark Lee's office when he was in Notre Dame doing an interview with him over the summer, and you know he has to step out of the hallway, and, and I kind of figured out, and he was talking to Tristan Sinclair. And you could just hear me. He's just like just doing the pitch, man. He wanted that kid bad because at Notre Dame, he'd have fit what they do. He's a faster Rover. version of J.D. Bertrand and Drew White. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. he is. you know. Or he could put him at Rover. Yeah. But then he goes to Stanford and he doesn't fit. And he used to Cosmo is another kid that Notre Dame liked from Bergen Catholic. And he just didn't fit that defense. So they've gotten a lot of kids like that that were highly ranked, but they don't really fit the defense. And so when you look at them, they just they, – the, the front five, you know, the three, four, the three down linemen plus the two edges, they just don't have players. And, and the other thing is you mentioned even as recently as Bobby Okariki, they have had good inside linebackers. And they're just they're just not good at inside linebacker right now. Like just no. not good at all at inside linebacker. No. It's a problem. They, it really is, man. They have a couple guys all, that have been somewhat productive the last two years, but like then you watch them play, you're just like like Lavani Dumani, I think is the one kid's name, number three. Yeah. Where I'm just like, 
guys, this is not a very good football player. Like, I'm right. being honest, right? Like, that has been the second level of Stanford's defense is a problem. I do think that there's a couple players defensive line-wise that have some promise. Like, they have this this freshman defensive end who's kind of like an undersized edge that I think is a pretty talented player. David Bailey. Yeah. David Bailey, yeah. He's Modern got some talent kid. to him. Yeah, yeah. He's, got, he's, he's got some talent. He's not a kid that should give Notre Dame problems because, again, he's a freshman. He's just not a real big guy. Exactly. Yeah, David Bailey's yeah. a good football player. And he comes yeah. from a great program, too, at Modern Day. Yeah. I think long-term Bailey's – Stephen Heron was a highly player. ranked recruit that Notre Dame wanted as well. He's just not – he just – doesn't not look like good. a guy. Yeah. No. Just well, not I even good. think Brian. I think I think in the last. Couple, I mean, we're talking about the the struggles of the last couple of years. I would I argue that they used Thomas Booker incorrectly there for yes. a while. You know, like I did not yes. think he was that five tech. Like he was a four three. Put him at three tech and let that dude go, man. Like that's what that's yeah. what Thomas Booker should have been. So yep. I think that there's a couple talented players up front, but I just think they're misused a ton. If we're being honest, like you mentioned Bailey. They have, I think, I, I, I'm not, I haven't looked it up, but I'm assuming that number 40 is Harrison Phillips's little brother. That's what it seemed like to me, if, if I have that correct. But, I mean, they have a couple of try-hard kids up front, but it's just not very good defensive line-wise right now. And the linebackers mm-hmm. are a mess. Defensive line, yep. I feel like, is misused. Linebacker, I feel like there's a lack of talents. Yep. Yeah, and just like Ricky Meezen, just like, ugh, just not – just not seeing it. And then when you take out Blue Kelly out of their secondary, their secondary is just not good. They actually have pretty decent run fillers at safety. I like well, Jonathan McGill as a player. Yeah. He's just small. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. He's, I mean, he's a good football player. But when you take Blue Kelly out of their secondary, their corners are just – Salim Turner Muhammad is just not a very good football player, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, their other corners like, – because he's, he's now – like they didn't even list Blue Kelly in the starting lineup. Uh, like on the depth chart, so it's Ethan Bonner at one corner, it's Nicholas Toomer and, and Salim Turner Muhammad. They're just they're just not really good football players, Ryan. They're just not real athletic. They're tall. They have some length. Uh, mm-hmm. Turner Muhammad will hit, you know, come up and hit in the run game, but they're just not really good football players. And and that's the thing because like when they were really good, one of the most underrated aspects of those Stanford teams for the, during the Harbaugh and, and David Shaw era for a while, they had mm-hmm. really good secondary players. Yeah. Like really good secondary players in a lot of years, mm-hmm. and now it's just like man, it's just like they've they've really fallen fallen off when it comes to secondary talent in a yeah. big way. You you mentioned Carter. I mean, we talk about Justin Reed. Um, Justin Reed was a really good football player for Stanford. They've had some guys on the back end that have mm-hmm. been pretty good. I actually do like you mentioned McGill, who's an undersized kid. He's like five foot nine safety. Yeah. Um, I I kind of like Williamson a little bit. The other safety, it's I think. Okay. He's a, Decent football player. They both have really quick triggers, and they're very yeah. – they play really hard. But to your point – Yeah, I also said they're I, good run defenders. Yeah, that's exactly. yeah, that's what I was saying. They're good run defenders. Patrick like, Fields saw, is a decent run defender. He'll hit he you. Is. He yeah. is. He is. They just yeah. can't run. I mean, because, like, I saw McGill, like, trigger downhill and come up real, with a lot of force, but then you're just like – he meets the running back, and it's just like kind of a stalemate. And gets yeah, because run over a little bit because he's 5'9", yeah. 180 pounds. Right. I mean, this is what right. it is, so – Caillou Blue Kelly have, is right? a really good player, though. Very plays. good. But he's, yes. like I said, he missed last week's game, and yep. he's listed as, I think, questionable is what mm-hmm. I saw most recently. But they they put out a two deep and didn't even list him. So maybe it's an oversight. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't – I mean, they had him last year, I think. Yep. Didn't he play against Notre Dame last year? He yep. wasn't hurt that game, was he? I don't think so. I don't think he was hurt that game. And Notre I, Dame I think, just I think he was apart. pretty healthy last year for yeah. the most part. So, yeah. So they they still rip them apart because he's it. I mean, you can you can literally avoid him, and it's like okay, not a problem, you know. So yeah, he, he had six tackles, six solo tackles against Notre Dame. So they must have had some balls on him. But 
anyway, Ryan, defensively, just the lack of athleticism has been a huge, huge problem for Notre Dame or for Stanford, uh, really for a couple years now. But it's especially bad now when you take Blue Kelly out of that and their defensive line, just the lack of power it has when they lost yes. Thomas Booker is just you can push them around big time. I mean, you really can. You I mean, really they're can. like, I mean, right now, Brian, they're like, their defensive tackles are like 280, 290, a little bit of smaller guys, and their edges are small, man. Like they're yeah. they're playing David Bailey, who again, I think long term is gonna be a good football player, but he's an undersized stand-up rusher right now, man. Like right. he's trying to play on the edge consistently. That that's right. not great. You, linebackers, I just again lack of talent, but then also I also feel like they don't know how to use either one of them very right. well, if I'm being honest. Like right. it's just just not great up front, man. And that's example exemplified by they're letting up 200, 200 plus yards rushing a game defensively, right. right? Like they're doing that. And then, I mean, if there's ever a game for Notre Dame's wide receivers to break out a little bit, if Caillou Blue Kelly doesn't play or he's limited, yeah. like, man, I, I mean, you have to like the, even with the struggling wide receiver crew, you have to like the options of one on ones against like an Ethan Bonner or a Salim Turner Muhammad. Yeah. Like you have to like those matchups for you. Yeah. I don't think the receivers are struggling right now for Notre Dame. I don't. And I think that was yeah. mentioned uh, last night. I think lack of production doesn't always mean they're not playing well. I think it's been a lack. I actually think they've played two pretty good games in a row against North Carolina and, and uh, BYU when they're getting the ball, they're, they're making plays, Ryan. But, you know, I just, I think that the rushing thing too is they're not good against the run. But the mm-hmm. 200 yards is a little bit misleading. They held you at not held us Colgate ran for 159, but they were 4.1 per carry. USC went for 164, but they were 4.6 per carry. Washington okay. went for 169, 5.3 a carry. So, the, the, so those aren't great numbers. And then last week, Oregon State went for 192, uh, 192 yards and 4.8 a carry. Now, Washington, Oregon State's rushing attack this year has not been as good as it's been in the past. No, they've only had one game so far. Like last year, for example, Ryan, they had one, two, three, four games last year under 200 yards the whole season. That was it. Um, And then, you know, so they've been a pretty good rushing team under Jonathan Smith. This year, they've only gone over 200 yards once, and that was 214 yards against Montana State. And that game, they averaged 5.1 yards per carry. They have not been higher than 4.9 yards per carry in a game this year. This is not the same Oregon State rushing team that they had in the past. And they went for 192 on Stanford and had their second most yards in a game and, you know, right on where Oregon State has been yards allowed per attempt. And and then and then part of that's too, they couldn't quite run the ball as much in the second half because they were, they were trying to come back a little bit late uh, from, you know, from being down. And did you see what happened? It was a weird game. Like, they had to go yeah. for two twice. Because their long snapper got hurt, and they didn't trust their backup long snapper, so I'm like, they they were down twenty, they scored and make it twenty four sixteen, and I'm like, why are they going for two? This makes no sense. And you find out their long snapper was hurt, and Gosh. so and then they had to go for it again later, you know, and and it was just it was a weird, it's a weird weird game, man, weird game, but um, uh, just. Just they're not a great rushing team, but what pumped their stats up is they gave up 351 yards to Oregon, Oof. and so you know that that um, that was uh, not good, not good. And so you know you kind of look at Notre Dame and you compare them to what you know Notre Dame and, and Oregon have a common opponent, mm-hmm. 
that also doesn't have a very good rushing defense. And, and Oregon against BYU had 212 rushing yards for and 4.8 per carry. Notre Dame against BYU had 234 yards, 5.2 yards per carry. And, uh, you know, so I think you look at that and you say, okay, just based on that very, very little small data point, you know, it's a situation where and, and, and Oregon's quarterback ran for 35 yards and three touchdowns. So Bo Nix is more of a running threat than Drew Pine is uh, at this point in time. So uh, that adds to the, the what I think is a even better gap for Notre Dame, better match, better statistical analysis is Oregon had 212. Their quarterback had over 30 and three touchdowns. Notre Dame's quarterback had like one run in the game, which was an important one, but you know, you're, it's a, just a different deal. Notre Dame's earning it with their, with their running backs and did say so, so with a questionable game plan, would you say is our, our determination in the upon further review last night. So, yep. you know, you look at that and you say, well, this is a game that should match up really well for Notre Dame to be able to run the football. But then it's just like, I think what we should see, and we'll get into this as the week goes on, but this is a great week for Notre Dame to continue the balance we've seen the last two games. Yes. You know, they 289, it, we talked about this. If they didn't take a knee at the end of the game, they would have literally had 289 yards passing and 289 yards rushing against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then against BYU, obviously Notre Dame had success in that game running the ball as well. Uh, they had uh, uh, Notre Dame went for what was it, 234 rushing yards, Ryan? I believe I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah. Uh, so Notre Dame had 234 rushing yards and 262 passing yards. Now they were very balanced against Cal as well but not the kind of balance you want. 147 rushing yards, 150 passing yards. <laughs> it's not the balance you want. But in the two games since, the offense has really stepped up, uh, been more balanced. This is another game where you expect that to continue. The The yards per play has jumped up. They were 5-3 against Ohio State. That was padded by the fifty by a couple big plays. Overall, they weren't very efficient. They were 4-7 against Marshall, 4-6 against Cal. The last two games, they've been 6-8 in both games. And that's with them taking a knee, knees at the end of the game, right? So you mm-hmm. take those out, you know, they're close to seven in both games. So you're starting to see them get rolling. This is another game that the Notre Dame offense should be able to, to combine efficiency with some more explosiveness, Ryan, because I think that's yeah. going to be something that that Cal Stanford's been very vulnerable to big plays, very vulnerable. And so I think that's um, that's something that we should see. Because they just they they're not real physical, but at the very least, they're also not fast. And that's kind of the way that you you, you explain this Stanford defense. <laughs> am I am I wrong? It's not it's not the best balance to have. No, right it's really it's not. not it's best. really not. It's not really really want to be. So I'm looking to see where they rank in, in efficiency. Because the one thing about Stanford that I will say, mm-hmm. this is the one thing I will say in their defense, and and why you have to at least be somewhat concerned. They're hundred according to the FEI and. Uh, the Fermo efficiency index, which I actually like uh, in in defensive efficiency, which is not good. But I will say this. I mean, after Colgate, I mean, you look at Stanford, Ryan, and, and they've done nothing but play quality football teams. I mean, they're going to come into this game battle-tested against Notre Dame. I mean, they've played USC, Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State this year so far. I believe all four of those teams were ranked at one point in time this year. Oregon State might not. I thought Oregon State jumped into the top twenty-five at one point, didn't they? Didn't they, for the USC game? Wasn't they that got a, off to a good start? It's been rough yes. the last couple of games. But yes. Yeah. So I mean, they, they, I mean, they outplayed USC really the whole game. Uh, yep. They were not ranked for that USC game, but they they were on the outside. But they outplayed USC for a big chunk of that game. 
and then of course came out got dominated by Utah and then Stanford outplayed them for 59 minutes you know what I mean it's like you know in sure 59 and a half minutes almost but uh in the end of the game they they got it done and and got the win but this isn't that's, a Stanford team that's going to come into Notre Dame Stadium and just roll over is my point yeah. Yeah. they're battle tested they've played a very quality teams, very quality team so far. Um, you know, so three of their last four opponents have been ranked in the top 20 at some point in time. That's so crazy. Notre Dame's going to have to bring it They're Again, they're not after what they've seen. Notre Dame's not going to blow them away with, oh, my God, the speed that Notre Dame has on offense is so overwhelming. They've played USC, Washington and, and Oregon. That, that, they've seen speed. Yeah. They've seen it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be blown away by physicality because they've had to play, you know, Oregon and U- Oregon State. You're going to have to execute. You're going to have to have a good game plan and execute. Now, if you do that, it should be a, a win for Notre Dame. I mean, we're, let's be honest. It, this is a game they should win. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a game they honestly should win. I mean, if we're being honest, Ryan, I, I mean, no disrespect by Stanford, but this is just the reality of it. This is a game you should win convincingly. Yep. But you've got to execute, and you've got to learn to put teams away. And that's going to be a key. And you hope that this is the the first time we can see that is this game. That's my hope is that we finally see them learn how to put a team away. And that's something yeah. I'm very curious to see about in this game, Ryan. And, and Notre Dame needs a game, Brian, where they just kind of win going away, right? Like we've yes. seen North Carolina, they they're pulling away and then they let North Carolina back in a little bit, right? Then you see him against, you know, this past week against BYU where you're just also like, Notre Dame's going to pull away now, but then they just kind of let them get back. You got Holtz, man. Yeah, Brian Holtz, me. I like that. We're, that might be a shirt. Brian Holtz, me. Holtz, me. That's good. I like that. But I, really I don't know. Do. I don't know how you can take what we've said in the show as that. I don't know. But I love you, Anthony. I do. I do. Anyway, Brian, please continue. I just saw that. <laughs> that was really that funny. Was hilarious. No, that is hilarious. I, I, I really might get a, sh- a shirt. I might make a custom yeah. shirt that says that, which is yeah, fantastic. But after two games where you have severely outplayed the opposition, but let them come back, this is a game where I think Notre Dame has an opportunity to close the door, get some guys some playing time, yeah. and really win convincingly. And this is a game where now in Drew Pine's fourth start, this is the game where it goes from okay, we're riding a good wave here, and then you kind of hit that hit that level where you're like, okay, I can do this for real now, man. Like this is good. Mm-hmm. This is consistency. This is multiple games in a row now where I've played good football. I have supreme confidence and offensive line wise, especially man. Like this is the game right here where you go from an ascending offensive line to taking a step up. Yeah. This is the, this is a Blake Fisher game. This is a Joe Walt game. This is a Jared Patterson game. Like this is that type of game. See Carell has played good football two straight weeks. Let's take it up another notch, baby. Let's do it. Let's hit that level mm-hmm. and let's keep it going. This could be a, it's not a get right game because Notre Dame has been getting right for a couple weeks now in theory. Right. But this is a maintain maintenance of confidence level and a boost in confidence. I think that's what this game should be. But again, Notre Dame has to come out and play football. Or else they're going to leave this team in the game for way too long. Yeah, no doubt. Somebody somebody made this point right here, and somebody said uh, Brent Smith said so. In other words, Marshall is better than Stanford uh, right now. Yeah, they are. Do they have as many NFL players as Stanford? No. Are they a better football team than Stanford is right now? Yeah, they are. I mean, they are. So no. that would be an interesting game if they could match up. Yeah. I would like to see that because Stanford Marshall would run on Stanford. 
Ryan. They would. They would. They would. <laughs> they, they, would. would. they would run on Stanford. Caleb LeBorn's having a nice year, man. Give yeah, that kid some credit. He's having a nice year. He's rested. He hasn't played football yeah. in three years. He's fresh. <laughs> right? He's fresh. You know, I mean, geez, Louise, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So, look, Ryan, that's kind of – that's, I think, a good intro into Stanford. It gives you a sense of who they are. We're going to do a mailbag next, so please don't go. But before we transition to the mailbag, Ryan, I want everybody to please hit that like button. Please hit the subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Share the podcast. I also took Ryan's uh, article or his interview, Ryan and Sean's interview with uh, Notre Dame great Bertram Berry yesterday, which was fabulous. We put it as a standalone video. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go check that out. Uh, That is on the Irish Breakdown uh, YouTube page. So check that out as well. Sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. You know, we haven't talked about Built Bars in a while, Ryan. And I know they got some new flavors coming out here soon. So if you love Built Bars like I do, then definitely want to check that out. If you use the promo code Irish Breakdown, you get 10% off your entire purchase uh so you'll definitely want to take advantage of that as well the merch store is hot and heavy ryan you got a new notepad right so you got yeah you got your irish breakdown notepad you got your new gear you got some uh, coffee mugs coming uh which you saw me drinking out of one of the coffee mugs last night because i don't drink coffee uh yeah there you go ryan's got the flag right ryan's all mercy he actually was gonna drape that over his shoulders during the show but i wouldn't let him (laughs) he was like i'm gonna do this the whole show that we do have a blanket that looks a lot like that, that I know your wife uses that uh, works real well there. So definitely check out the merch store. That awesome that um, that blanket has transitioned from her couch blanket to an underneath the bedding blanket. Nice. In the it's bedroom. a really soft. Yes. It's a really soft material, but it also is warm. So I, I, I really like that blanket. There's no doubt. Um, Our girls, our dogs love that blanket as well. So it's very comfortable. They love kind of like laying on top of it, like having it on the couch and laying on top of it. And so, yeah, they, they very much like that. So check all that stuff out as well, everybody. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to and always listen to the Irish Breakdown podcast. Hey, we also had the new CFB podcast came out today, the the uh, the, the guys from Sporting News. So if you go to the CFB Nation uh, channel, the Irish Break, which is a, uh, a kind of part of the Irish Breakdown you know, Driscoll Publishing family, they put a shot today. They talked about Matt Rule and you know the potential of his return to college, which he should do. He's a college coach, not an NFL coach. No matter how much he thought he was an NFL coach, he's a really good college coach. Uh, they talked about USC's ascension, Oklahoma's descension. They also had a little chat about, you know, Quinn Ewers versus Arch Manning in the future, which a lot of people are just assuming that when Arch shows up, Quinn Ewers is going to be out of a job and transfer and all that. And they discussed that today as well uh, as they also recapped kind of this past week's games. And then the issues that Alabama has a quarterback uh, behind Bryce Young. So, yes, he'll be back. But what if he gets hurt again? They are a completely different team when Bryce Young's not out there. So, uh, they talked about all that today's shows, everybody. So make sure you check that out. Uh, give that a listen to and subscribe to the CFB Nation podcast channel. So uh, definitely want to give that a listen to. And then tomorrow we'll have a show out of those guys where they preview the week seven games. Because, Ryan, there are some major games this weekend. I mean, there's a t- this is the most ranked versus ranked opponents uh, games I think that we've had all season so far, which is not surprising when you get into conference play. Uh, that that you're going to see more of that. So definitely check all of that out on the CFB Nation podcast.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.